This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Equity Mike. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. We love the fact that investing is a truly global opportunity these days. Um, You don't just have to invest in your home country, and we are joined by an expert investor from Singapore who's an expert in global emerging markets. So I'm excited to bust out of our Australian borders today and speak about the opportunities around the world. That's it. Break that home country bias. It is our absolute pleasure to welcome Amit Goel to the studio. Amit, welcome. Hi, Bryce. Good morning. Good morning, Alec. Great to be here and lovely talking to you guys. So Amit is the lead portfolio manager, Fidelity Global Emerging Markets Fund and portfolio manager for the Fidelity India Fund. So plenty of ground to cover today and uh, really looking forward to uh, understanding more about emerging markets. So Amit, before we get stuck in, we always love to hear the story of our guests' first investment. There might be some lessons and some uh, key takeaways. So are you able to share with us the story of your first investment? Yes, I think I, I think it's a, it's a very interesting story and let me talk about it. So I joined Fidelity almost 17 years back. I have a medicine background. I, I, I did my undergrad in pharmaceuticals. I did my MBA throughout my undergrad as well as my postgrad. Interesting in investing. Always want to be an entrepreneur. And you know, when you want to be an entrepreneur, it's about allocating capital to an idea, but also operationalize that idea. And, and soon I realized that I'm very good at allocating capital. I'm not good at operationalizing uh, businesses. So, so I think that took me to investing, which I think is a is a very true form of form of entrepreneurship. Because here you are choosing an idea, a business, but you are also choosing people to run that business. So, I think I think it's a, it's a in my mind it's a very true form of entrepreneurship. When I started working, I think I came across this company in India called Page Industries. It is a master franchise of a brand called Jockey which is largely a men's innerwear brand. Very simple product. All of us use it. We <laughs> understand it. And India was a very fragmented uh, innerwear market. You have uh, many brands at many price points, largely uh, very value-conscious market at that point of time. It still is. 
uh, and and you have this brand which sells for a dollar a piece, but very unique, differentiated, aspirational brand for masses. And you know, it's a product which you can't even claim to wear that I'm wearing this brand. You can't show off, <laughs> um, and 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 you still have a brand which sells for a dollar and aspirational for the masses. It was a small company. Uh, a single-digit market share in Indian market. They were very good at branding. They are very good at distribution. Hundred million dollar sales, ten twelve years back. Five hundred million dollar market cap. Very beautifully managed, and uh, it it always looked to be expensive in a in a sense that market is trading at fifteen times price to earning. This stock is trading at thirty times price to earning, but it was still a drop in the ocean at that point of time. So so. We bought it. We bought the company. Um, in 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 in, I was an analyst. We bought the company as well, and it turned out that the company just kept on compounding, compounding, compounding. Sitting here now, that company has grown its market cap uh, by fifty times. I mean, it was a thousand rupee stock in two thousand nine when I first looked at it. It is fifty thousand now. Yeah. Uh, and the business still the same. It's very simple. It's the product we use on a daily basis. It was sold for one dollar that point of time. It is sold for two dollar now. Their market share was five seven percent. Their market share is fifteen percent now, and keeps on growing and compounding at fifteen twenty percent every year. I think the learning here is that investing can be as simple as possible. Mm. That we as consumer use hundreds of products and services on a daily basis. I think our best investing can be some of these products and services which we use as consumer, and we can understand the value and aspiration and the brand power behind those some of those businesses. The second learning from that was that you know the stock stock went up very very fast, like it 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 became a ten bagger in two three years time, and then it started looking very expensive, and you started looking for new ideas to allocate capital into businesses which you don't understand that that well. And you you sell this idea, and uh, and and buy something else which you don't understand. So so I mean we we sold it in three years time after it being five seven bagger, but uh, it has been another ten bagger after that. <laughs> uh, and and that that kind of tells you again you started with with quoting Warren Buffett uh, that that we are we are kind of here cutting our flowers and 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 watering our weeds so 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 i think it it goes back to the basic principle of investing in my mind that keep things very simple invest behind businesses which you understand and just try to see what they can do in 5 years time 10 years time 15 years time it's not always easy but i think if you if you invest behind simple products simple services it it becomes easier than than Thinking about some complex things in investing. Mm, I love that. There's some great lessons there. I, I've also pulled up Page Industries charts. It's up eighteen thousand percent since two thousand and seven. So, a great investment uh, for your first investment. Uh, I guess Amit, the from that first investment to where you are now, um, leading a couple of funds at Fidelity. Have you developed a personal investing philosophy? It's said over and over again by everyone, uh, and so it's it's not something unique which I'm saying that investing is a very long journey. It's a marathon. It's the only career where you can actually become better every day with age. I mean, if you are if if you are if you are working in a factory, I mean, as you get older, your efficiency decreases. If you are a sports person, as you get older, your efficiency decreases. This is one profession where. Every year you can become better at your job. 
uh, whether you are working for yourself, whether you are working for your clients. So I think I think that's the goal that you become better investor over a period of time. And as as I said with with this first investment that I talked about, it is all about keeping it simple as as much as possible and and keeping it simple is not very easy mm. i mean i think you learn it by mistakes uh, as you go along uh, keep your focus narrow down your focus i mean it's a very wide area there's no right way or wrong way of making money you have to understand your way of making money and you keep on defining that so to me it's a journey it's a journey where i was looking at very wide areas i keep on focusing narrow down my universe be specialist on what you do and just keep on refining your process make it very simple so that you can you can make it understand to anyone on the street that this is how i invest uh, look so so in my investment philosophy i i just keep on looking at simple businesses that i understand great businesses just just understand why these businesses are great what do they do is it, is it sustainable is their brand power sustainable is their technology power sustainable do we understand our product or services and just keep it very simple keep on learning more and more about your businesses and that gives you conviction to own them for longer duration just don't make it make it very complex so um your lead portfolio manager for the fidelity global emerging markets fund so how does fidelity define emerging markets and i guess the follow on then is what is so interesting about the emerging market space for you it's very interesting question because in my view there's no homogeneous asset class called emerging markets mm. you can think of emerging market you know as a salad with a different shades of green orange and red you have very different countries from if you think on a map from south korea to chile i mean diagonally very different countries at very different stage of evolution demographically economically socially politically there are small countries like south korea with 30 40 million people uh, with gdp per capita of 40 50000 dollars you have very populous countries like like india with uh, 1.3 billion people gdp per capita of 2500 dollars you have countries outside asia brazil south africa which are very resource heavy countries we, they have massive resources but very volatile economies and then you have china which is everybody question whether it is emerging or not emerging mm. so so i think it's it's a, it's a very very heterogeneous asset class versus what you see on a global basis for example us which is a very large part of developed market universe which tends to be a more homogeneous asset class large consumer base which 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 are which are kind of very homogeneous in nature so i would say the beauty of emerging market is that you have this mix of very different countries uh, to choose from and and at any point in time you can just choose the right segment within those industries where consumers are growing where penetrations are going where businesses are becoming more scalable where businesses are becoming more competitive so to me it's it's a perfect hunting ground uh, to buy great businesses in great pockets of opportunities within emerging markets so it's not a homogeneous homogeneous asset class it's it's a, it's, a, it's an asset class where you can really shine if if you choose the right company in the right areas yeah it it is just such a big label for so much of the world more than half the world um that i imagine the difficulty sometimes is just trying to narrow your focus down uh you mentioned china there amit um is china an emerging market in fidelity's view it is an emerging market because while china has grown 
to be uh, the second largest economy in the world. It's now the second largest consumption economy after US in the world. China is 50, 60, 17% of every product manufactured in the world. In, in most of the cases, they are 50, 60% users of every commodity in the world. So, so they, are, they are very large from that perspective. But it's a very populous country. And it's not a, it's again, within China, it's not a homogeneous country. So, so there are 1.3 billion people at different stages of evolution. So yes, top of China uh, is as wealthy as anyone else in the world. So, so there, there will be out of that 1.3 billion people, there will be 30, 40 million people who are very rich, uh, who can be, who can compete with any rich developed economy in the world. But then there is a base of people who are, who are still developing. Uh, and it's a very large base. So, so, so there are 1 billion people who are earning less than $10,000 GD per capita disposable income. There are 280 million people in China who are earning more than $10,000 GDP, $10,000 disposable income every year. That number is going to grow from 280 million to 6-700 million in, in 10 years time. So that's still developing. So I think China still has, in my view, 10 to 15 years of, of that growth path where, where consumer will evolve, their aspirations will evolve, their purchasing power will evolve. And then this question becomes more sensible whether we still think China um, becomes a developing or a developed market. And obviously, who knows? I mean, it's a volatile period. I mean, you all know about geopolitics and what's happening. But but I think there's still a large part of China that is still growing at a very good rate uh, to, a, to a level where you can call them developed. I mean, there's um, there's a lot of noise in emerging markets at the moment with the outflows that we're seeing um, from emerging market funds. And I guess that begs the question around the longer term opportunities that um, are created when investing in uh, emerging markets. It's a, it's a part of the market that I think for a, a lot of people in our community as well, it's, there's always a, a pretty strongly divided opinion around stay clear of them or, you know, they're amazing for longer term opportunities. So, what is creating uh, the long-term opportunities in emerging markets versus obviously some of the, the more established and, and what are some of the drivers of, of these opportunities for, for investors? No, I think it's, it's, a, it's a question which, which comes up in most of my client conversations that with all the promise of emerging market, better growth in India, better growth in China, other parts, it seems that emerging market keeps on lagging developed market. So why should we look at emerging market as an asset class? When you buy anything, um, any business, any asset class, there are two fundamental drivers, actually three fundamental drivers of why you buy that asset class. First, you tend to see what is the growth of this asset class over medium to long term. Uh, can it grow 5%? Can it grow 10%? Can it grow 15%? Whatever we can say here, we have seen the last 10, 20 years and we can surely with say with some conviction in the next 10, 20 years that emerging market as economies will keep on growing uh, faster than developed market. I mean, you have uh, China, which is slowing down from a high single digit growth rate to maybe five now. And I think five is still a challenging task for them. Even if they grow three, four, they will grow faster than developed market. Uh, China is almost one third of emerging market universe. Uh, then you have countries like India, Indonesia, which are large countries, they're going at mid single digit. So I think at a, at a totality, you can surely say that emerging market can grow at my sense four odd percent in next 10 years in real terms versus developed market growing maybe two. 
So you still have emerging market at a faster GDP growth versus developed market in real terms. But the other two important aspects, which when you buy any asset or or shares, that are you buying at the right price? Because if you buy a, a faster growing asset, but at a wrong price, you could still not make money out of it. And the third very important point in my mind, which is that, do you really have businesses within emerging markets that benefit from this economic growth of emerging market, which always promises to be higher than developed market? I think the third point, which I mentioned, is a very important aspect when you look at emerging markets in the next 8-10 years. If you look at last 10-20 years, a lot of this growth in emerging market was actually captured by by a lot of developed market companies. I mean, if you if you ask me which is the biggest social media company in, in India, it's, it's Facebook and WhatsApp, which is the biggest uh, software company in India, it's Microsoft, which is the biggest advertisement company in India, it is Google, uh, uh, which is the biggest e-commerce company in India, it's Amazon. Mm-hmm. So, so a large part of that incremental growth in a lot of emerging markets that goes through for uh, India, that goes through for uh, other parts of emerging markets, especially outside Asia, where a lot of this growth, uh, especially in the digital space, was actually captured by global companies and not local companies. I mean, China was a very different situation, which which had these homegrown companies like Alibaba, Tencent. But then they also now got impacted by what we saw on the regulatory aspect within within China. If I see next five to ten years, I see emergence of very competitive local and domestic companies in emerging markets which are very competitive on a domestic basis but also becoming globally competitive to capture global market share and i'll give you a few examples like within china within india i see emergence of very strong consumer companies in the digital space uh, you have a lot of 30 40 digital companies which are growing very large in india which are capturing um, Indian digital space. You have Indian consumer companies which are becoming large in areas like consumer electronics, etc. Keep on gaining market share in these large growing markets. Similarly, in China, sportswear, consumer staples, dairy, uh, electric vehicles, alternate energy value chain. You have emergence of these domestic companies, which I think will capture more and more value out of the growth of these, these large economies. Then... On a technology landscape, I think for the first time in last 20-30 years, you have started to see global market leaders in semiconductor space out of Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taiwan Semiconductor, Samsung Electronics, SK Hynix, a lot of other companies in Taiwan. So my sense is that now you have a you have a better set of businesses to choose from, which can benefit from this high emerging market growth and taking global market share as well. And the third very important point in time is that which whatever has happened in last 10, 12 years, emerging markets have become as cheap as ever. So they are trading at the highest discount to develop market, both on an absolute basis as well as on a relative basis. So all these three points, higher growth, uh, better price to buy it. But I think most importantly, better set of companies to choose from, I think makes me optimistic on a medium to long term basis on on emerging market and again it's a very wide universe to choose from it's mm. a very fragmented asset class so as an active manager again it's a it's a very important asset class for us yeah on, on that point of i guess different and 
perhaps better companies. Um, we, we often talk about emerging market indexes and the, the composition of the index has changed massively over the last 10 or 15 years. You know, mid-2000s, it was really resource-dominated um, companies and now it's, you know, uh, technology and consumer brands are sort of sitting at the top of that index. Um, may, maybe, I know you've touched on it briefly there, but maybe can you tell us a little bit about that evolution and how the emerging market index today is different to the emerging market index 15 years ago? Yes. I mean, that's exactly my point uh, was when I when I talked about a better set of companies to choose from. So if you look at 20 years back, the index was very resource heavy. So you will have uh, large energy companies, which were largely government-owned conglomerates. You have large resource companies. On top of it, you will have large telecom companies um, like like like. China Mobile and, and, and other telecom companies outside outside Asia. And you will have large banks as well, mm-hmm. which were very large uh, financial businesses, uh, large banks in China, large banks in Brazil, etc. So all these companies were the top 10, top 20 companies in the index. And as you rightly said, that has changed. So you have more technology, more consumer, uh, more internet, and some of the resources companies as well. So I think it's become a more diversified, a better kind of reflecting index. And that goes, that just sets the point which which I mentioned to you earlier that that it is not just, just I think the composition of these 10, 12 companies in the top 10, 12 companies, but it, if you look at the top 100 companies, you will see a similar chain in distribution uh, of, of businesses. So it's, it becomes a more diversified index. And I think from a, competitiveness point of view it's 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 become a better set of companies to choose from and that's exactly the point which i'm saying that which makes me more optimistic as an asset class i mean in our fund we don't we are very benchmark agnostic so 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 we don't buy companies because they sit in benchmark we buy companies because we like them we understand them and we think they are they are presented to us at the right price uh, to to benefit our clients so so it's a very fragmented asset class as i said we, have, we run 80% active money, so so a lot of stocks are very small in benchmark or doesn't sit in benchmark. But but again, as you rightly said, it, the composition has changed for the better. So Amit, um, as we've sort of alluded to here, not all emerging markets are created the same. And so I guess your whole job is to come up with a framework of identifying which uh, markets are worth pursuing and going after. So what what do you look for what are some of the characteristics and qualities of an emerging market that uh, I guess then allows you to figure out, well, um, I'm going to put these in our universe. And the follow on from that would be, what are some of the emerging markets that are particularly interesting you at the moment and are exciting for, for Fidelity? As I said, it's a very heterogeneous asset class, different countries at different point in time of evolution. Even within countries, you have different pockets of opportunities. I mean, in our view, we we never go top down to have a view on a particular country, whether it's it, it looks good to us or it, it's look worse to us. Obviously, when you when you look at any stock in a particular country, you are you always think about the macro macroeconomic environment in that country and try to kind of get 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 that included in your stock level thesis. We are essentially looking for long duration, sustainable pocket of opportunities within emerging markets. And I'll, I'll speak about a couple of them as we look look through. I think the first and the foremost point when we look at companies and, and the most important point for us to buy any companies is to 
have a view on quality of people behind businesses so i think corporate governance and quality of management team integrity of management team becomes very important more so in emerging market where in a lot of cases you see majority shareholder is the manager of the business so there is no segregation of management and ownership in a lot of emerging market business still so you want to make sure that you buy businesses where you can trust the management team for next 5 10 years you can buy a great business but if you are not aligned with the right kind of people you might not be able to crystallize that value in in, in especially in emerging markets so i think for us getting aligned with the right kind of people people who we can trust with right corporate governance structure is very important to buy any business second important point i talk about this these pockets of opportunities i think i talked to you about chinese consumer market i mean we are we are all reading and listening about what's happening in china uh covid property market geopolitical issues but i still see uh china consumer market keep on growing for next 10 15 years as some of the middle end consumers move to mid and high end i mean as i said 250 to 280 million consumers who are earning more than $10000 disposable income every year that number is going to double in next 10 years so it becomes as large as us consumer basket in 10 years time we are talking about 15 trillion dollar of consumption happening in china a, a lot of it is so important that you need to understand this consumer what are their aspirations what are they going to do where are they going to spend incrementally i think that forms the basis of choosing some of very good consumer related names and then again goes back to which company is the right company to choose within that sector so so we own some some very good consumer businesses which we believe can can grow at very strong double digit for next 8 10 years and and that's i think a very good pocket of opportunity come to india again a very large country where i think growth can be one of the highest in emerging market for next 10 15 years consumer sitting at very low price points average consumption basket is very small so these consumers as they evolve they will start to use uh new things which they have never used in in their life i'll give you an example consumer electronics which you and i use on a daily basis air conditioners refrigerators uh kitchen appliances like range hood microwave oven etc all these consumer electronic penetration is tiny because consumer was still earning only $2000 per capita disposable income and as it goes from $2000 to 5 and 10 in the next 10 to 20 years you will see the penetration across some of these categories increasing massively i mean the penetration of air conditioning in india with with such a kind of hot kind of temperatures and climate is 5% india sold 7 million air condition last year there are 300 million households in india there are 200 million households which are middle and upper middle class india only sold 7 million air conditions last year china sold 100 million air conditions <laughs> last year so so i mean just these numbers are are mind boggling so can you really find good domestic businesses which can capture this growth so again you have to be looking at this sector you have to look at the right company right management team and if you can marry both of these factors i think that kind of gives us a, a lot of long duration sustainable opportunities so i think these these two areas which makes me makes me uh, kind of feel kind of very optimistic and the third area which we are we are very positive on is the global competitiveness of semiconductor companies in asia i mean there are companies in especially in taiwan or some in korea which are truly becoming globally competitive i mean they're they're now technology leadership 
of companies like Taiwan Semiconductor, uh, in the memory chip space, in industrial computing space, in IT services space. I think the technology leadership, the scale leadership of some of the Asian companies are are now better than ever. I mean, mm. they, their history, they have been improving, but last five years, their competitiveness has just gone to another scale uh, of bec- becoming global leaders. I mean, let's, uh, let's turn to some individual company names in, in, within some of those opportunity sets. So um, in China and India, there's, uh, you, you, you said you're really interested in consumer businesses, particularly Indian air conditioning. We will be asking uh, what the opportunity in Indian air conditioning is. And then in the, uh, I guess, uh, Asian semiconductor space. Let, let's start with consumer companies. Um, are, are there any particular stocks, any particular companies that uh, you have on your watch list that uh, that are particularly exciting within that thematic? Yeah, let me speak about this company. Uh, uh, it's called Havels. It's one of the greatest business you will come across in emerging market, uh, a very strong compounder over the last 10, 15 years. It's a company with one of the largest domestic consumer electronic business in India, about $2 billion sales. In that $2 billion sales, um, they sell everything basically. Um, they started being a cable and wire company. So, so the cables that, that goes into our houses um, behind the walls that we don't see. Uh, and, and then they moved into selling lighting products, um, selling fans. So they have got 15% market share in all the fans sold sold in the country. Wow. Then they moved into consumer electronics in last 10 years. They started selling water heaters, air purifiers, water coolers. And now they are moving into white goods. Uh, so they are started to selling air conditioners, refrigerators, washing machines. Uh, and it's a company which has been building this business for decades. Very strong management team, organic growth, focus on creating brand. I happened to visit one of their factories last week in India. It is one of the most modern air conditioning plant I have seen anywhere. I mean, I've I've been to air conditioning plants in China, which are, are, as I said, throwing millions of air conditions every year, one plant. But I think this plant was very comparable to any leading uh, plant. I mean, this plant manufactures one million air conditions every year. So I think in, in this market where you know that this market is going to become 10, 20 times in, in future. I mean, we can we can debate the duration of this growth. Uh, it can be 10 years, it can be 12 years, it can be 15 years, but we know the end point. So you really need companies which you think have the right structure in place uh, to, to capture this growth. So I believe this company is absolutely the right company from a management bandwidth, from a corporate governance structure, from focus on brand, distribution, manufacturing capabilities to capture that growth. And you know, it's it's very interesting you, you ask this question because you have a template also. Same thing has happened in China in the last 20 years mm-hmm. where the market was very fragmented, a lot of global players were present. And then some of these domestic companies, I mean, there are two companies in, in China which kept on taking market share from global companies as they keep on faltering in their focus because they are global companies. They, they keep on faltering in their focus in a particular market. And I think that's the case will happen in India. India has presence of all the global companies, LG, Samsung, Daikin, Hitachi, uh, Whirlpool, all the global majors, whether you talk about European, American, South Korean, Japanese. And I see them faltering one by one uh, and and, and uh, ceding share to a company which is which is very good in domestic markets. So, so I think, again, this is a business which I believe has compounded a very strong double digit. 
and and can keep on compounding at a very strong double digit in future given 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 the structure of the market and and the capabilities of the company love that uh it would be a missed opportunity if we didn't try and squeeze one more company out of you amit so do you have another company that is exciting you it doesn't necessarily have to be india but from an emerging market point of view let me take you out of asia because i've spoken a lot about uh about china india technology uh let me talk about this company uh, which i think uh, a lot of australians can also relate to it's called localiza it's one of the largest car rental business in the world i'm sure you know about hertz avis i was in australia 3 years back and i rented car at the airport from hertz drew, drove it throughout australia so i'm sure everybody knows about it so you can say it's the hertz of brazil and actually hertz sold their brazilian business to this company a uh, few years back because they couldn't compete with it so this is a company which has 300000 cars in their fleet in brazil wow they buy 13% of cars sold in brazil every year so they buy this company buys one out of every eight cars sold in brazil every year and the business model is very simple they buy a car run it for two years and sell it at the same price because they are such a largest buyer of cars in that com- country they buy every car at a 25% discount directly from oem they run it for two years and they sell it at a price which is same as their purchase price very close to it and their their selling price is always 10% more than the selling price which is ongoing in the market even for used cars because they have a very strong uh, their used car business uh, with with their own stores and and sell directly to retail so it's a business which is so competitive because they are so large scalable efficient they buy cars 20% cheaper and they sell sell cars 10% more expensive so that's a very sustainable competitive advantage they have and brazil is a very typical market where car ownership is very expensive because your cost of capital is very high i mean in developed market you get car leasing at very low rates 2 3% even in places like india china you get at 5 7 8% in brazil you have to pay 15 to 20% to lease a car every year so so this company being a corporate can can have at least 10% lower cost of capital versus an individual who will who will buy a car and and lease it so massive competitive advantage and they keep on gaining market share in a country which has not done anything for last 10 years the the real gdp has not go, gone anywhere uh, the car market has not gone anywhere this company has compounded at a rate of 10% so i think it's a very competitive business um, i mean they are they are the largest player in their market the second largest player is now 25% of their size uh, massive competitive advantage and and again i mean this is one company very good management team very operationally corporate governance very strong so i think again this is this is one of the most unique business i i see around as well fascinating wow. uh, uh, this is why i love investing and learning about new companies there's a there's a company out there in brazil that's buying 13% of all cars and you just you just never know what's happening around the world anyway i mean that that's why we love uh speaking to fund managers and i'm sure we could speak um for hours about all of the companies in your portfolio but uh we are getting close to to running out of time we we should ask one question about managing risk because uh in emerging markets there's there's more volatility and so as an investor that's interested in 
uh, investing in emerging markets. We have to be mindful of that. How do you think about managing uh, volatility in your portfolio and um, how do you sort of put in place some downside protection? Yeah, I think managing risk is one of the most important part of the process. Whenever we think about giving returns to our clients, we always think in terms of risk-adjusted returns and not just returns. So given the volatility you talked about, I think it's very important to manage risk. To me, the most important aspect of managing risk is to, first is to know your business better. As simple as that. I mean, this is this is the basic of investing. That don't invest top-down, don't invest because somebody told you to invest uh, and, and this is a good business. So, so, so just keep on understanding your businesses, um, buy good businesses, but but just don't buy because somebody told you it's a good business. Go and, and, and try to understand it. And that gives you a lot of holding power in any business. I mean, and that actually gives you your ability to benefit from volatility. I mean, if, if I understand a business, I think it's a great business long duration and the couple of business that I talked about here. And by any chance, given the volatility in the market, these businesses are presented to you even at a better price than what you think it, it, it should trade at. That's an opportunity to embrace volatility and, and get benefit of it. But you will never be able to do that unless you understand that business and have the conviction to buy it when things are going wrong. The first and foremost, go back to basics principle of investing that only invest after understanding uh, the, the business you are investing in. So I think that's first basic principle. I think the second at a portfolio level, which which I think is very central to our strategy and process is to make sure that we don't take excessive risk in single stock. I talked about some of these great businesses and as you get closer to them, you get biased with them. And there are still so many things in some of these businesses that you will never know and you don't know. I mean, you are sitting in your office, you meet them once a quarter, you go and visit them. A lot of things are out of your control, out of management control. You don't know about it. There are always stock-specific risks which can come from anywhere. And, and I think... Managing money for last 10 years has taught me that these risks can come out of nowhere and you can never manage those risks. The only way to manage that risk is not to bet your house on one, two, three names. You should try to drive your performance through your process and philosophy. And that process and philosophy is to buy businesses that you understand, buy them at the right price, keep on understanding them better. But then to reduce a sing, single stock specific risk, we tend to make sure that while we run concentrated portfolio, we don't run very concentrated positions. So, so in our portfolio, we try to keep our portfolio as diversified as possible at a stock level. All the risks are derived from stocks, but they are very diversified at a stock level. So if you're owning 30 names, you're trying to own them at 30 into 3. So that no one stock can make or break your portfolio. Just two basic principles which, which we follow in our strategy. Try to understand your businesses so that you can embrace volatility and just try to make sure that you don't get biased with businesses and don't try to take excessive single stock risk. And that you want to do in your life that you want to do in your personal portfolio and your client portfolios. Love that. Well, um, Amit, we are just about out of time, but uh, a quick reminder for the Equity Mates community that we are not experts here. We're not financial professionals and we aren't licensed. So we're just learning here like you and nothing on this podcast should be taken as advice. Um, it doesn't know any of your personal circumstances, but he himself is licensed. So we've got three final questions. Uh, so I'll kick it off. 
Do you have any must-read books that you would recommend to the Equity Mates community, uh, investing or otherwise? Yeah, so I think I would never never say must-read books, but I think I think great to read books. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, let me let me talk about probably quickly about three books which which I I found very useful. Uh, and, and they came from different facets of uh, universe. Uh, first, I think what I like to read is uh, is history, uh, which is factual. So history of countries, history of companies. History gives us great learnings and lessons. So so that's that's I, I'm I'm always trying to kind of read comp- books on 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 history. The second, which I'm very passionate about, science. So so biology, chemistry read about kind of space exploration, etc. So I think these are the two kind of topics which which I spend uh, time on reading. Three books that I want to talk about very quickly. Um, uh, so there is this book called The Essays of Warren Buffett uh, by Lawrence Cunningham. Uh, and he has written a few books on, on Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. I think this is a very simple book on investing. To me, I think every young investor should just go and read it. What this book does is to simplify all the principles that Warren Buffett has been practicing over the last five decades. Everybody reads his shareholder letters and his annual reports. So, so this book kind of simplifies this his investing style and his views on investing in different chapters. So in one chapter, he's talking about markets and investing, merger and acquisitions, corporate governance, accounting, tax issues. And they, they have kind of experts from his, his shareholder letters. But it's I think it's a very simple book on investing. Every new investor just go and read it and again read it a year later and again read it a year later and, and keep on because these simple things are difficult to get into your mind. Uh, <laughs> so, so I think that's one book. Uh, the other book, which is very topical, uh, I think given all the geopolitics is a book called Why Nation Fails. It's a great book which tells you about the history of political history of the world and it tells you why some nations has become more prosperous versus others. Uh, and it kind of goes back to the basic principle that that it is all about institutions, institutions, institutions uh, and, and why certain political system doesn't allow uh, independent institutions versus others and why these independent institutions in any countries are so important for the long-term prosperity of any countries. And, and it talks about all the different geographies, uh, Africa, South America, US, Europe, what happened in Asia, China, etc. So it's a, it's a great history, political history book. And the third book, which is slightly different uh, in perspective, uh, uh, takes you to more kind of uh, science kind of uh, focus is called The Gene. Uh, it's a book by a very famous kind of microbiologist called Siddharth Mukherjee. Uh, and this book was very instrumental uh, in, in my thought process as, as well. This book talks about how life came onto Earth, how this serendipity event of some chemicals getting together created a, a, the first gene and, and how life evolved. And it talks about the whole 150-year uh, research on the genome in the world uh, and, and how this complex software in, in our body kind of is responsible for everything that happens on Earth. Uh, and 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 what are the new incremental research happening in this area and how this is so important. And, you know, it's not scientific at all. It's so simple read uh, that, that it, you can easily connect with, with it. So, so I think these are the three books which, which I think are very simple to read, uh, talks you about different facets of, of life and investing, 
um, and I, I really enjoyed them uh, reading. I love that. I love the spread of topics there as well. Um, some some great books that I'm definitely going to add to my reading list. Uh, I mean, the second question we like to finish with is uh, for, forget the valuation today or you know how, how they're what they look like as an investing opportunity just purely on the company what it does and who runs it what's the best company you've ever come across i think the two companies that i talked to you about and i will add one more company uh, in this list uh, this is a company from china uh, it's it's called foshan haitian they sell soy sauce very simple product yeah, which, yeah. which everyone knows uh, understand uh, it's a private business, uh, a company selling soy sauce, uh, which sells for 15 RMB, $2 a bottle. Everyone uses it in their house, in their kitchen. It's like salt in China. It's a company with market cap of, I think, $50 billion now. I happen to spend a few hours in their factory and understand what soy sauce is and what does it mean for a Chinese consumer, uh, why they buy it, how they use it. And, and this company was so instrumental in creating a brand in a product as commoditized as soy sauce and, and why they can keep on selling um, and increasing their price forever and how the incentive structure where, where employees are, are completely aligned to minority shareholders. Again, one of the greatest business tells you that simple product, you use it every day, simple to understand, the right corporate governance structure, the right focus. I mean, all these things are so important. And again, I mean, it goes back to the basic principle. And I I'll, I, I tell it to every young investor and I'll, I'll tell it to myself as well that we don't need to make investing complex. I mean, there are so many things. Apple, Google, Amazon, these were the companies which we have been using uh, for last 15 years in our daily lives every day. We don't need to make things complex. We know the value of these products and services. They might be expensive at some point of time. They might be cheap. But these are the things we understand. Um, and so we, we we don't need to look outside this space. So again, I mean, Foshan Haitian, again, going back to your question, is again one of the greatest businesses that I've seen around. I love that. I love how we've uh, spoken about the biggest Brazilian car buyer, the biggest, the world's biggest soy sauce maker, one of India's biggest uh, underwear and uh, innerwear makers. It's uh, There's a lot of opportunity out there in, in things that are all around us. Uh, but Amit, uh, we, we have run out of time and we always like to end with the same final question. If you think back to your younger self, starting out as an investor, making that first investment in page industries, what advice would you give to your younger self? I mean, the only advice I'll give to my younger self is first, I think, don't worry, things will turn out to be okay. And that's nice. the hindsight benefit. Uh, and I think the second advice is, is just keep things simple. Uh, I mean, I in firmly I believe that in this world there's no point being jack of all trades. Keep things simple, focus, observe things around you. Don't complicate things. Uh, investing is a very long duration, 30, 40, 50 year process. It's not a five year process. So, so, so you can simplify it and you can make a lot of money out of it. So, so, so just observe things around you. Don't just sell things because you think these are expensive or uh, or or you have made your money if if you you buy great businesses just stick with them and 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 don't sell them uh, just because they look expensive and and they have already gone up so i think a lot of mistakes uh, we do is to sell our stocks just because they are expensive on a 6 12 months basis i think i think uh, those those were the mistakes and uh, you can 
and and you only learn from experience from these things so i think just to simplify and focus is a very simple advice awesome thank you so much i mean it was an absolute pleasure chatting with you and also thank you for uh to fidelity for sponsoring this episode uh it's a part of the market the emerging markets that is um one that we often get a lot of questions about so hearing it straight from the experts is always uh, beneficial for the community so thank you so much we got a uh, some really interesting companies to go away and have a look at. So um, we appreciate your time today. Thank you. No, I appreciate. Uh, thanks, Bryce. Thanks, Alec. And it was lovely talking to you. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website, where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. 